You're listening to Sermon Cast Media from Antioch Community Church in Wichita, Kansas. For more of our sermons, resources, or to support this ministry financially, see our website at antiochwichita.org. Uh, we're going to continue on with our journey of Lent. Amen? And journey in our Lenten journey is just a journey to the cross because the cross is absolutely everything to us. We say that uh, week after week, but the cross is everything. Without the cross, we have nothing. Amen? Without the cross, we have no salvation. Without the cross, we have no freedom. We have no peace. We have no grace. We have no mercy. Uh, the cross is everything for us. And we believe that the season of Lent, just read this little thing, it's a, it's a season leading up to Easter uh, during which Christians symbolically follow Christ into the wilderness, fasting from lesser things so that we might be filled with greater things of the gospel. Uh, it's just a sweet time of preparation for the cross of Jesus. It's a lamenting season where we lament our sin and we, and we long for freedom of our sin. And as we make the journey each week through the scriptures to the cross of Jesus, we take that journey with him. And then it all comes to the pinnacle. We go into Palm Sunday and then we go into Easter Sunday and we celebrate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ in our new life and our new freedom. Amen? So um, in our, so today we're going to, an interesting text today we're going to go through together. Here's kind of our big idea for the day. Uh, although it's beyond the comprehension of the mind of man, to follow Jesus is to live a life of death to self. Only when we die to self will we truly find the life that he has intended for us to have in him. So that's our big idea today, real soft kind of stuff we're going through today, little puppies and puppies and moonbeams, amen? Look at your neighbor and say, puppies and moonbeams, amen, bunch of soft weights, come on. Here's our text for today, you can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38, Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38, it will be up on the screen, but if you brought your Bibles with you, how many paper Bibles we got today? Oh, look, we're growing in numbers. Praise God. So from two to four. Come on, get your paper Bibles out. Get a new one. If you don't have one, I got some for you if you need one. Um, but let's, let's read this let's text together. I'm reading from the ESV. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation uh, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So pretty heavy text this week. Um, Jesus speaking with his disciples. Uh, Peter, God bless him. We learn another great lesson from Peter. Just my guy. He's my dude. And so we're going to tear this verse up. But let's pray first. Lord, I'm just thankful for... Um, Lord, I'm thankful that you weren't messing around. Lord, you had one purpose, and that was to set, uh, set captives free. And then, Lord Jesus, you are serious as a heart attack of what it is to follow you, Lord Jesus. It's, it's to live and die as you lived and died. 
And Lord, thank you for your mercy in that. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience. But Lord Jesus, we want to be men and women of biblical proportion who want to serve you and love you and be disciples and die with you um, um, uh, any way we can to bring you honor and glory. Jesus, you're worthy of it all. We sing it. But Lord, you truly are worthy of it all. So Lord, be honored and exalted in this house. Lord, come and speak to us through your word. Excited to be with you, God. Open our hearts, Holy Spirit. Come. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So verse 31, we're going to start there. We're just going to divvy this up in pieces. And so verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So the teaching of Jesus here takes a turn. Uh, Up till now, his words about his death have been very vague and indirect. An example is in John chapter 2, verse 19, where he says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple in three days, I will rise it up. So what is he saying? So he's literally at the temple, right? And he says, tear it down, I'm going to build in three days. They're mind boggled. They have no idea what he's talking about. How 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 many years did it take to build it? Yeah, 70, 75, I can't remember the exact number. 70 years to to put it up, and Jesus just said he's going to put it up at three. What was he really talking about? His body. He was going to be put down. He was going to be raised again in three days. But from here out, for some reason, at this very point, starting in Mark 8 and different places in the the different synaptic gospels, Jesus starts to use a very direct term. And so, and then this calls him the son of man. Uh, What is it when you hear the term son of man? I I came up with four things I found that really when, when we call Jesus the son of man, when the scriptures call Jesus the son of man, what it means. Number one. Son of Man is the title of his humanity. Uh, other titles for Christ, such as son, is, son of God, are overt in their focus on his deity, but the Son of Man contrasts it's his human nature. He is Son of Man. He is a human being. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He is fully God, fully man. So it's a reference to his humanity. Here's the next one. Son of Man is a title of his humility. Everybody say humility. Um, The second person of the Trinity, eternal in nature, uh, left heaven's glory and took on human flesh, becoming the Son of Man, born in a manger and despised and rejected by mankind. This intentional lowering of his status from a king of heaven to Son of Man is the epitome of humility. Isaiah 53.3, which is a great text if you want to read, especially going through Easter, if you want to read through the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the chapter of Isaiah 53 is 700 years before Christ, and it tells a foreshadowing of him, and he fulfills it to very, the very key. Amen? Uh, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. And so we've got his humanity, we've got his humility. Son of man also is a title of his deity. Everybody say deity. Jesus is the supreme example of all that God intended mankind to be, the embodiment of truth and grace. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Uh, uh, bodily. And Matthew 26.64, Jesus said to them, You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. It's this fulfillment of his deity. He is fully God, fully man. And last but not least, Son of Man is a prophetic fulfillment of prophecy. 
prophecy. In Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, the scriptures say this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was him uh, it was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And dominion, uh, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So when you hear the Son of Man, it's essentially referencing four things, his humanity, his humility, his deity, and, his, and, and a prophetic fulfillment. Amen? Amen? And it goes on to say the Son of Man, he's, he's being clear, Son of man, and then it says he must suffer and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed after three days rise again. There is this key here in this word, and it's the word must. Everybody understand? It said must. It must what? He must suffer many things. He must be rejected by elders, chief priests, and scribes, the religious system. He must be killed, and he must rise again after three days. As we look into the scriptures, Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Got this quote, the cross of Christ was not some random thing that ended up happening. It was his entire mission from the beginning. Jesus was here for one reason and one reason, uh, the biggest reason is to what? Set us free. He came that he must die. He must suffer. He must be killed. He must be raised again. And uh, the scripture goes on to say in verse 32, he says, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. I love Peter. He's just my dog, right? He's just my guy. Um, but the first part of that says he said it plainly. What does that mean? Uh, the statement uh, was earth-shattering to his, belief, to his listeners. Here's the deal. Most of them had a predetermined view of what Messiah was supposed to look like. Uh, Barclay says this, Sometimes the Messiah was thought of as a king of David's line, but more often he was thought of as a great superhuman figure crashing into history to remake the world and in the end vindicate God's people. The Messiah will be the most destructive conqueror in history, smashing his enemies into utter extinction. The idea that Messiah would be a suffering servant was unheard of. It was catastrophic to their ears. And so when he said this plainly, the reason why the scriptures say that is because it echoed through time, because you can start to see the reasoning up behind why Peter felt the way he did and why the disciples felt the way they did and why they never quite got it. Even up until the end, even in the resurrection, before Jesus appeared to them in a room, they were still hiding, losing hope. They were, they were fearful. They still didn't really understand what Jesus came for, but he was clear that he had to die and that he must rise again. He said it plainly. And then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So what on earth is Peter thinking? Huh? He wanted to protect him, right? How many times do we see that? What happens in the garden when, the, when they come to arrest Jesus? What, what does he do? Yeah, homie takes his, knife, takes his knife out and slashes the guy's ear off right there. And his heart for zeal, um, and, and here's, here's the funny thing, is that right before our text here in Mark 31, right before that in Mark, in Mark, 30, in Mark 29, excuse me, uh, Jesus asked them, he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. 
like Peter gave this definitive answer that, that Jesus was the Christ. If you look at the version of the story in Matthew chapter 16, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all kind of circle around each other, same stories, different viewpoints. This is what it says in Matthew about the same account. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, right after he says that you are the Christ, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Uh, it's, it's not hard to see the progression of Peter's steps. Number one, Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah. Okay? You are, um, you are the Christ. Jesus compliments Peter and tells him that he didn't come up with that. The Lord revealed that to him. So Peter has this epiphany moment. The Lord revealed this thing to him. Jesus gives him a compliment. Jesus told him of his impending suffering and death right after that in resurrection. And Peter felt it wasn't right. Peter felt he heard from God, that he had got a word from God that he was Christ. But in Peter's misunderstanding, Peter rebukes Jesus. Imagine the spiritual confidence is maybe the best word, Jen. Confidence checks out. Okay, confidence you have to have um, to be able to rebuke the Lord God who you just said was the Christ. Um, uh, this is another example of Peter's zeal coming into conflict with what the truth is. Uh, what Peter passionately felt in his heart was completely off. So Peter, in his love and compassion for Jesus, is it possible in love and compassion for Christ our King that we can totally miss the point of something and make assumptions about how things should go in life or with other people? The answer is yes. Verse 33 says, But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, hold on for a minute. If Jesus just says, Get behind me, Satan, you know you've got problems. Amen? Um, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So Jesus sees this. Peter has rebuked him in front of other people. This is a teaching moment, and um, Jesus steps in, and uh, David Guzik says this. It says, Jesus exposed how Peter came into this satanic way of thinking. He didn't make a deliberate choice to reject God and embrace Satan. He simply let his mind settle on the things of men instead of the things of God, and Satan took advantage of it. See, Peter is a perfect, perfect example of how a sincere heart coupled with man's thinking can often lead to disaster. Something happens when our, our zeal and our compassion... By the way, is there a point where compassion becomes sinful? There is a place where compassion becomes sinful. And the question is, where does it become sinful? It, compassion becomes sinful when it goes beyond the scriptures and what God's word says. To be compassionate for the things that God hates, to be compassionate for the things that God, or just being laissez-faire about things that God, that, that, that just breaks the heart of God, that's when compassion, oh, I just want to, you know, we, we love the sinner, hate the sin, you know, that's, that's fine sometimes, but sometimes it crosses, crosses boundaries into where we are giving people a green light in their sin, and even though because it's based on, well, God's a God of love. Of course God's a God of love. Do you understand what that means? God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish and have everlasting life. It is an eternal love that is bigger than our comprehension of what's right and wrong. And so Peter completely can't handle the idea of a suffering servant, a suffering Messiah. 
And we have to be completely careful for the same things and we don't do the same things in our lives. Um, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Let me say it again. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, heaven, for as the heavens are mightier than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, we can easily make assumptions about what God is going to do and how we live our lives or how our lives are supposed to go based on what we feel God is like. We have got to know the Bible. Everybody understand what I'm saying? We have got to, I've made fun of it before, but, you know, people you say, you know, God, 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 you know, God helps those who helps themselves, right? It sounds like a scripture thing that somebody will say, but guess what? That's the furthest away from the truth that could possibly, possibly, it sounds good, right? Yeah, you should help yourself and get out there and yeah, God will help you. God meets you halfway. God doesn't meet you halfway. God is 100% of the way for you. And any movement you get beyond that 100% is by the grace of God carrying you uh, as you move down the road. Amen? Uh, sometimes what doesn't add up to me is exactly the thing that God is doing. How many times in our lives have we passionately felt like God was doing a thing or we wanted God to do a thing and he just ended up doing the opposite thing or he allowed, uh, this is why things like the book of Job are so mind-boggling, right? Like you have to do something with the real character and the person of God. Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, right? Job allowed the devil to sift, or, yeah, God allowed the devil to sift Job, take out his kids, uh, inflict him with bodily pain, posse sores all over his body, take out his livestock. You have to do something with who the reality of Jesus is. There is a bigger story at play. There is something going on bigger than you, bigger than me, something that we cannot see with our own eyes, and it comes through faith that we have to trust God and what he's doing. Amen? He not only allows suffering, but it's for our good. Amen? Doesn't make any sense. In my compassion, I would say, God, I don't want to see so-and-so go through. Uh, I know that there's some, some folks in this room and some folks that aren't here today going through massive trials, massive issues. God, why does it have to be this way? It has to be this way because it has to be this way. God has a plan in the middle of what he's doing. Amen? Sometimes the thing we wanted so badly was the opposite, exact opposite of what he had for me. I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to start singing Garth Brooks, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer. Sometimes I'll thank God for unanswered prayer. Imagine if you were given everything you ever wanted. Some of you are like, that'd be awesome. But some of you who are going to down to earth in reality, think about it for a minute. If you got what your heart desired all the time, and in the minute you asked for it, where would you be? Sometimes, I thought about this last night, sometimes loneliness is the exact thing he uses to draw us near. You think about that for a minute? Sometimes loneliness is the thing. When you are lonely and feel like you're missing and you're looking for a significant other or maybe you're lonely in a full house, it doesn't make sense. And you know God created you for companionship, but in the end, loneliness is a tool that God can use to do what? You're never alone. When you feel like you're alone and you've been abandoned, there's always one place to look at, and that's where Jesus is, amen? Sometimes bodies give out and people we love die. And we don't think that's fair. And in the end, if you look at it from heaven side down, when someone passes away, and especially when they're a believer, what is happening is God is taking his children home. 
Amen? God gives us comfort. God gives us joy. God gives us uh, supplication. He fills in the voids and the gaps. But as we've seen over and over and over again, is that when, when death happens as for a believer and for Christians, it's actually eternal life. And then God backfills the rest of the hurt with time and energy. Amen? Even though we don't think it's fair, sometimes we can't understand what God's doing and our compassion like Peter overruns. Verse 34 says, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It was one thing for them to hear that Jesus was going to suffer and die on the cross, and now guess what? Jesus is including them. Sound good? They knew exactly what he meant when he mentioned the cross. In their day and age, the cross wasn't jewelry. The cross wasn't this thing that was on the wall. The cross was an instrument of death. On the outside of town, you would see men hanging on crosses who were punishable for, for murder, for theft, for various things of the Roman Empire. And so when he said to them that, that he knew, when he talked about the cross, taking up the cross, they knew exactly what he was talking about. This guy Wessel says, cross-bearing does not refer to some irritation in life. By the way, that's the whole, oh, it's just my cross to bear. My sin struggle is my cross to bear. Guess what? It's not. That's actually blasphemy when you say that. I would, I would think. I've said that in my life. Like, oh, this thing I struggle with is just my cross to bear. It's not my cross to bear. The only cross I have to bear is the cross of Christ. Amen? The only cross I had to bear is the cross of Christ. So they knew exactly what he meant. But this guy goes on to say, rather, it involves the way of the cross. The picture is of a man already condemned, required to carry his cross on the way to the place of execution as Jesus was required to do. Um, this quote, there is no other truth about this. To be a follower of Jesus is to live a life of denial and death, a self, um, excuse me, denial of self and death to self. Um, this is why Lent is so important. Um, the only way we follow Jesus is through death. The only way that we become true disciples of Christ is through denial of self. Um, and this isn't, this isn't something that people talk about very much anymore. It's, doesn't, it's not a sexy sermon series to get people in the door. But in the end, Jesus didn't care about that. Jesus had crowds, and he chased them away with his words. The real words of Christ are, those who pick up their cross and follow me are my disciples. And he, and he puts it in here again. The word here again, it's the nastiest word in the scriptures. It's the worst cuss word in the scriptures. It's two letters. It's the word if. Everybody say if. If. Here it is again. It's all optional. If is a bad word. I just wish God would make me do stuff. Amen? God, just make me be faithful, and I'll be the most faithful person that you've ever seen if you make me be faithful. Amen. So here's a life little, little, little stupid, but I think it applies in everything. Little life application equation. So it kind of looks like this. Um, number one, if. Looking at every situation, and I just pointed out some scenarios uh, in my salvation, if I want to follow Jesus. And then it goes like this. Deny yourself. What does it mean to deny myself in salvation? Well, I don't want to give up my things. I don't want to give up my stuff. I don't want to give up my time. I have to deny myself. Then I have to die to self, take up my cross, and follow him. In relationships, it's the same thing over and over again. If I want to honor Jesus in this situation, I need to deny myself. Think about, think about husbands and wives. To be married is to be in 
denial of self. What I want takes a back seat to what God wants. Amen? And then the die to myself, what I have that I want, I've got to put it in the ground. Sometimes, I know this is hard to believe, but Jen's actually uh, right about some things. And I have things to change. It doesn't happen very often. But man, when it does happen, it's pretty profound. (laughs) But I got to die to myself, take up my cross and follow him. This is the only way to follow Jesus is walking through these things. What about your job? You've got to deny yourself. You've got to die to self. You've got to follow him. What about kingdom come or my political will be done? By the way, it's 2024. (laughs) It's all starting again. Be nice. Um, But what about things like political prowess in your passion? Can somebody tell that you're more political about who's the president or more passionate about who's the president or you're more passionate about who Christ and King is? Kingdom come or my political will be done. Over and over and over again, marriages, finances, jobs, school, kingdom come, politics, relationships of any kind, your salvation, it all comes down to this, that equation. If I'm going to choose to follow Jesus, I need to deny myself. So like in a fight I'm going to have with my wife, let's say we've had a fight before. Okay, and so we've had a fight before in that situation. My if, if I'm going to follow Jesus is reluctant, but I want to follow Jesus. So I'm saying, yes, I got to deny myself. What I want in that situation is to be right and clobber Jen with the absolute truth that I know is the absolute truth. Amen. And so I want to show Jen that she's wrong. But then, um, wait a minute, is that what Jesus wants me to do? Is my point to shame my wife or try to argue with her? Next one, die to self. I've got to die to that inside of my heart. In every single situation, I have an opportunity to die to myself and say, uh, your will be done, Lord. Your your will be done here in this room, in this fight, as it is in heaven. You ever prayed that before? Your will be done in this fight as it is in heaven? That's some powerful words right there, right? In the middle of every situation. What if you're having conflict with somebody? Uh, and then follow him. What would Jesus do? The whole, the whole wristband thing, WWJD. So if I want to take up my cross, die to self, which means I'm putting myself in the back seat and I'm putting people first. That is what a disciple is, is people first. Others before me. And so when we look at that, am I picking up my cross and am I following him? And what does that mean? What would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus respond to my wife? How would Jesus respond to the church, the person in church that I'm having conflict with? How would Jesus respond in a way to my boss or to my financial situation? What is his heart's desire? And that's what I do. That is what it looks like to be a disciple of Christ Jesus. That's what it looks like to take up your cross. Could it literally mean give up your life? Someday it might mean give up your life. But it means every day to give up your life as far as ownership. And if you have any ownership in your life, it belongs to him. It's not ours. Amen? And so denying myself, dying to self, and following him. Verse 35 turns the corner and says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Sounds counterintuitive, right? Like it doesn't really make any sense if you look at it through worldly eyes. Um, but you can't gain resurrection life without dying first. Some of you have given your lives to Jesus, and all of us that have given our lives to Jesus at some point or all the point, you know what you're doing? You're dying. That's what's happening. The Holy Spirit is fighting 
for uh, the fighting for, for, for space inside of your heart. And there's a spiritual warfare that's going on inside of your heart at all times. And you're dying. This is what it is to be. This is when you deny the devil, when you when you say yes to Christ, you you are winning a battle of rebellion. By the way, do you know that Christians were not supposed to be rebellious? Actually, Christianity is the is the is the is the religion of opposition. We are rebellious. We're just not rebellious to the things of God. We're rebellious to the things of the world. We're rebellious to infidelity, and we're rebellious to lies, and we're in, we're rebellious to addictions, and we're rebellious to hate and unforgiveness. We're rebels. We're rebels of a different kind, right? Get your stormtrooper thing on. We're, no, we're not those guys. We're the other guys. We're the rebels, right? Well, that's my first Star Wars type quote. And um, maybe not all, not ever, but um, uh, John 12, 24 says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You are dying to find life. Um, this quote, we are not searching for the life we have always wanted. We're longing for the life that he created us to live. There is an enormous difference between why you were created and what you think you were created for. Now, some of them, as you grow in your faith and hear from the Lord, can coincide together. God puts desires on your heart, but God has you in this place, in, on this planet, on this earth for a reason. And as we die to self, as we, I deny and I die to myself, I actually get exposed to the person I was created to be. None of us have any idea of the real person we're supposed to be. We only find it in Christ Jesus. Amen? So we're, we're not searching for what we've always wanted. We're searching for what he has always wanted. And by the way, you don't lose anything. You live when you die. It doesn't make any sense, amen? Feels like you're missing out on something. I'm being deprived of my time at the club, and I'm being deprived of my gluttony, and being deprived of my yada, 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 yada. In the end, what I'm being deprived of is death, because what God has for me is 10 times better than what I have for myself. And in Christ Jesus, as I die to myself, I don't lose anything. It sounds like it because I'm dying, but I'm actually gaining life in the things of God. I'm, 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 I'm gaining the things of God. Verse 36 turns the corner and um, says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What a question. You think about that question ever? Like, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Um, yet the very things that we strive and fight for the most end up being momentary worldly things. Think about all the things that we strive for, right? Like all the things that we're really putting our time and our energy into worrying about, trying to fix, trying to move. Um, is there anything in this world that can even come close to the love of God, the peace of God, the kingdom of God, and eternity with God? The answer is no. No amount of money, sex, popularity, achievement can purchase eternal life and the redemption of our soul, only the grace and blood of Jesus. Listen, sometimes I look and I see people with money and I'm like, man, if they just gave me a fraction of what they had, they can help me pay off my debt and maybe take care of my house. And, 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 and I, start, I start thinking about all this stuff that I'm longing for. And what I'm doing is I'm replacing Jesus and faith and trust in him. And I'm placing in my keeping up with the Joneses or my own selfish things. And in the end, what, what am I doing is I'm trying to gain something uh, that, 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 that I wasn't supposed to have. No amount of money. Sex popularity. I already talked about this. Achievement and purchase eternal life. 
In verse 38, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Uh, best way I found to explain this is this quote by this Osborne guy. He says this, This was an honor-shame culture, and it was defined through a patron-client relationships. So the warning about being ashamed of, me, of Jesus means much more than the emotion of being embarrassed to witness or be known as a Christian. So this isn't a ragging on you about being ashamed of him as you're not out sharing the gospel everywhere. Uh, that's part of it, by the way, if you don't share the gospel. Is there something in me that is ashamed of it? But it, he goes on to say, we are dealing with our allegiance and loyalty to Jesus Discipleship means to acknowledge and be identified with Jesus in every sphere of life. Those who seek to save their life and gain the whole world are denying, ashamed of Jesus. Those who care only for the world and give Jesus only token allegiance will answer to him at the final judgment. Being ashamed of him isn't just not talking with your mouth. It's not living it with your life. And these are the very words of Jesus. What does he mean when you're ashamed? I would ask any of you, I'd ask myself, are you ashamed of Jesus? My answer is going to be, no, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower. I go to church. I do all the things. But in the end, the problem is, is my dedication to discipleship and dying to self actually shows what I have shame or I'm ashamed of. And those are heavy words, and those are not, uh, that's not something that you, this week at church, bring all your friends. We're talking about dying to self. And, and by the way, if you're not living that Christian life, um, there's a possibility you could be ashamed of Christ. Um, according to this, being ashamed of Jesus and his words is directly connected to how we live our lives and the fullness of what he's called us to do. Nominal living for Jesus equates to living ashamed, and it breaks the heart of God, and people will answer for it. Like, what does the scripture say is one of the worst things to be? Hot or cold? Warm. Right? What does it mean? I mean, here, here's my thing. If you're not all in on this, I've said this before, and I always want to be careful. But if you're not all in on this Christianity thing, why would you do it? Why would you give up your stuff? Why would you give up your time? Why would you sacrifice your money and, 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 and say no to things that, that you don't want to say no to, right? Why would denial of self seems counteractive to the world we live in? But in, in, uh, what I say is, man, if you're going to go out, man, if this life is the only thing that you're holding on to and it's not really kingdom come and his will be done, have a blast. Go and just spend yourself to the very last second and minute of it because that's all you get. And in the end, for those of us who are longing for eternal life, eternal freedom and power and a different kind of life, man, it means that we die and there's no half in or half out. That's what I love about this house is I believe that we're people that are consumed with the fact that we want to be all in for Jesus. We want to live a life consumed with being like him and dying to ourselves. Amen. That's what I love about this house. Um, back to our big idea of the, of the day, of this week. Although it's beyond the comprehension of the mind of man, to follow Jesus is to live a life of death to self. Only when we die to self will we truly find the life that he intended for us to have in him. 
Uh, number one, Jesus's purpose was to come and die for you and for me. That is the whole point of this Lenten season getting low is that our sin actually costs somebody something. It costs somebody something. It costs the God of heaven, his son, his life, to give up his life, to step out of glory and to come and to be ridiculed and to be uh, mocked and to be murdered. Um, number two, uh, Jesus equates our lives with his our lives, when we think about it, if I look at, am I being a good disciple of Jesus? And there's grace and mercy and patience in the whole thing. Man, he's so patient, amen? But does my life look like a suffering servant who lays down his life above all else? Because that's what the equation looks like. And if the answer to that is no, or not all the time, which I think most of us would say that if somebody says, yes, you are the perfect example of Christ in here, uh, to be honest, if you existed, I would have used you as a sermon illustration instead. But just in case you forgot, I didn't ask anybody. Amen? Some of you are further along than others, but in the end, am I known as a die-to-self man or woman? And i got to be honest, a lot of times it's no. It's no in my squabbles at home or trying to be the good husband or, or in, in my battles being a father and being a good father. It's in my battles and being a good friend and what, I, what I'm selfishly don't want to give up and what I don't want to do when it comes in the battles of my finances. But in the end, Jesus says that if we go back to that, is it possible that my lack of zeal for the kingdom and discipleship is actually shame? Is there something Jesus is not worth in my life? The answer should be no. The reality is, then why is it so? He allows us to go through things that are painful for his glory, and he always, always, always answers, even if we don't like the answer. And he calls us into that glory and to suffer with him. Um, as we go into a time of worship this morning, um, Yeah, I didn't close my book or do the sign for the worship team. <laughs> oh, up here, look up here. Um, just as we go into a time of worship, as we take this Lenten journey with Jesus on the cross, um, if we were to put a litmus test up to our lives today about what we just read and about the words of Jesus, uh, what does it come out? What does it look like? And this isn't for you to walk around in condemnation and flogging yourself. You don't have to crucify yourself. Somebody already did that. We've been crucified with Christ. We are a new life. But the answer is, are there things in my life that need to be tweaked? Is there apologies that need to be given? Is there humility that needs to be given? Is there grace that needs to be given? Is there mercy that needs to be given that I'm not giving because I'm not dying to myself? Is that word if a hang-up? If you would be my disciple. Maybe some of us in this room have never surrendered our lives over to Jesus and you need to desperately sur surrender your life over to Jesus. He loves you. He died for you. You can't help yourself. You can't get better. You can't do this thing on your own. You need the cross of Christ. And he says it's a free gift for those who would come and surrender their lives to him. It's not just a little prayer, but it's an act of submission, of surrendering your life to the Lordship of Jesus. If you're just struggling today, 
If you're just having a hard time with your heart, now is the time when we can minister to each other and come forward and, Lord, we want to we we carry those burdens with you. If there's conviction today in your heart about any of this, Jesus is not saying, idiot! He's saying, I love you, come here. Come here. I will show you how to be my disciple, but you can't do that outside of my arms. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us, and as we start to move, we start to worship, let's just allow the Holy Spirit to come, and if God gives you a word for somebody, or you just want to come up to the front and get down on your knees, if you need prayer where you're sitting, you can raise your hand, but let's just go to the Lord. Jesus, I definitely do not understand it all. What makes sense to me surprisingly doesn't always mean it's your will. God, you call us through heavy things, things that break our hearts, things that break backs of people we love and yet we know you are good Lord you called us to a life of denying self and taking up our cross death to self and following you wherever you would go and sometimes you lead us through hard places but Lord we trust you Lord we want to trust you more Lord we don't want any area in our lives God to be a place where you don't have access to. Maybe our hurts have blocked access to you. Maybe our past has blocked access to you. Maybe our anger has blocked access to you. Lord, but may you have it all. Lord, may we be people on the right side of if. Holy Spirit, I pray you would just come now and as that you administer to our hearts. And then, Lord, if there's anything, God, that needs to be confessed today, if there's anything that needs, even in, you can take someone's anger or heartbreak, God. You are the God of heaven. You long to have those conversations to make things right. But no matter what it is today, Lord, would you come and meet us and just heal the hearts of people Make us in the men and women who know how to die so we can find our true life. We can find our true love. We find the reason why we're here. We love you, Jesus. Come and do what only you can do. We ask this in your name. Amen.